Do you know what Adam said on December 24th? It's Christmas, Eve. It's, if you didn't laugh, that is so fine. All right. Could we, could we stand together in honor of God's word? Galatians chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you, verses 4 and 5. Here we go. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you came hidden. I pray today that every single one of us would grasp at a greater level why you came hidden. And then, Lord, I also pray that you would reveal your glory to our hearts, that which is hidden from human eyes and from the eyes of simply our natural mind. Would you open our hearts and reveal your glory? Hide me behind the cross so we can hear what you're speaking to your church. Please, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So question, how many times do you think you wrote 2018 this year? How many, how many times were you writing a check or filling out an application and you, you wrote the date? It's, it's really interesting because the title of our series is His Story. And we, we've been using Galatians 4 because the, when it says, when the set time came, it's a very special Greek word, um, kairos. And it, it talks about, it, that word means God's time. That God comes into our time. There's our regular uh, word for time. There's a Greek word for that too called chronos. It's just measuring time as time goes past. But kairos is a special word and it speaks of God's time. And God intervened in history at just the right time showing that that, that history is really his story. That he's really over all of time. I just think it is so profound that God had everybody, whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, agnostic, atheist, everybody, whenever you write the date, you are acknowledging that he owns time. 2018 means it's 2018 years since Jesus was born. B.C. is before Christ, or B.C.E. is before the common area, which was with Christ's birth. And A.D. means the year of the Lord, and we measure our very time. God had it so that we would measure our time by His invasion into history. God split history with the birth of Christ. All right, so I want to read the birth story. You get to sit for this because it's a little lengthy, but we're going to do it. Here we go Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So they're telling Mary and Joseph what the angel said. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. His story, the birth. I want you to consider with me first the circumstances around the birth. There was an empire-wide census that brought Joseph and Mary back to Bethlehem. Um, Last Sunday night, we did a whole night on the census. This morning, you're just going to get the conclusions. If If you want to know more of the history and the problems that developed around this, go back to next week. I'm just going to give you the conclusions today. There was an empire-wide census to give an oath to Caesar in 3 BC, according to the Roman historian Orosius. Quote, in this one name of Caesar, all the peoples of the great nations took oath And at the same time, through the participation in the census, we're made part of one society. It is an, the census is about an oath to Caesar. We get a hint as to exactly why there was an empire-wide census from Augustus's own journal. He says that he was awarded on February 5th, 2 B.C. So right at the beginning of 2 B.C., he is awarded the designation, quote, father of the country. And he received it, he says, from all that were in the Roman Empire. It was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of him becoming Augustus. He was given the title Augustus in 27 BC. It was also the 750th anniversary of Rome. So there's a census for an oath in 3 BC. Now, there are two other historical references to this oath. 
not in the Bible. One of them is an inscription that was found in Paphlagonia, a region in North Central Asia Minor, a part of the Roman Empire, dated to 3 BC, that mentions, quote, an oath sworn by all the people in the land at the altars of Augustus, in the temples of Augustus, in the various districts. There's an Armenian, an early Armenian historian named Moses of Karen stated that in the year of Abgar, king of Armenia, and which is also 3 BC, a census brought Roman agents to Armenia, bringing the image of Augustus Caesar, which they set up in every temple. So there is certainly an empire-wide census where people are giving an oath to Augustus. So now we've got the one missing link is Israel involved in that census. And can it be proven historically that it was? I'm going to read to you from Jew, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus. <clears throat> Here's what he wrote in his uh, Antiquities of the Jews. When therefore the whole Jewish nation took an oath to be faithful to Caesar and to the interests of the king, these men, speaking of the Pharisees, to the number of about 6,000, refused to swear. So Josephus says that while Herod was king, because Herod's the only guy that has the title king, There was an oath taken by Israel, sworn, they swore to Caesar and to the interests of the king, which would have been Herod himself. Now, what we don't have is the date. We don't have 3 BC like we did in these other three references. So the question is, is this one in the same census, one in the same oath? Because it certainly doesn't sound like the same exact thing. There's no altars of Augustus. There's no bowing down. There's no temple. Uh, The idea of having a a statue of Augustus in the temple that Joseph and Mary would have bowed down to is ridiculous. So is, is this the same? Here's why I believe it is. You've got to understand that at that time, Judea is a client kingdom of Rome. These are peripheral kingdoms that were conquered by Rome, but it was easier for them to not bring everybody into the direct supervision of Rome. And so these client kingdoms, they would place their guy there. King Herod was their guy that they appointed and they would not, they didn't do direct taxation and and taxation is actually the best way to understand the oath because in a taxation Only Roman citizens are taxed. Only those under the direct supervision of Rome would be taxed. So Israel wasn't under the taxation of Rome at this time. What the client kingdoms did is paid tribute to Rome. How they got that tribute was their own business. Herod could raise that money any way he wanted to. He just, the client kingdoms just paid tribute. So I want you to consider, this is not a taxation census. This is for this oath. That this is, this is ordered by Augustus, but it's run by Herod. There's three reasons why we can see that it's run by Herod. One, um, how it's run. 
Joseph and Mary returned to their hometown. Rome never had anybody return to their hometown for their censuses. But whenever Israel did a census, everybody had to come back to their hometown. And the reason why is because property always returned to your family in the year of Jubilee. So you weren't from where you lived. You were from where you were born and where you owned property. And so everybody in a Jewish-run census would have to come back to their hometown. Secondly... What, what the oath was, the oath was to Caesar and to the interests of the king, okay? Augustus never, Augustus never would have approved this. The idea that Herod is going to use the oath to him to include himself and to get people to promise something to him, that wasn't in the original. This is run by Israel. It is not run directly by Rome. And then thirdly, the penalty. The reason why we know it was a registration is because Josephus says 6,000 wouldn't swear to Caesar and to the interests of the king. 6,000 Pharisees, he he tells the whole story of these 6,000, and the penalty for them not swearing was they had to pay a fine. And Herod's sister-in-law ended up paying the fine for them. So we know this is run by, by Judah and not run by Rome. Uh, if, if, you, if you didn't bow down to Caesar, you weren't paying a fine. You were killed. This is, run, this is run by Israel, ordered by Augustus, but it's run by Israel locally. There was an empire-wide census, and Israel was part of it. If you want more on that, go to last Sunday night on the census. This census, it says this was the first census when Quirinius was governor. Okay? It's a, it's a mistranslation. It should say this. This is the census that happened before Quirinius was governor. Translations have gotten on this. Uh, the NIV is the last one to change. You, you, you look under the first uh, census under Quirinius, there's a little asterisk, and you go down to the bottom of the page, and it says, or uh, before. The, 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 the Greek word is prote, um, and in classical Greek, it has to be translated first. And so that's the normal way to translate it in classical Greek. But this isn't classical Greek. This is Koine Greek. And Koine Greek, there's fewer words and it's way, there's way more room. And prote can mean before just as easily as it can mean first. And when you understand why Luke includes this little tidbit, you will understand why he even mentioned Quirinius. Okay, so King Herod dies in 1 BC, and he leaves the kingdom to his three sons, Archelos, Antipas, and Philip. Archelos is an ethnarch. He's over half the kingdom. He's over the Judah part. Well, he was so horrible that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, wrote to Augustus and asked that he be replaced, that Rome send somebody. So in 6 AD, Augustus sends Quirinius to make Israel part of the the direct supervision of Rome. He is called a Roman procurator or a Roman governor. He is the first one. And 
Uh, the fifth one, of course, is the most famous. That's Pontius Pilate. But he is the first one. Now, the reason why he's so famous is because the way he started his reign in order Augustus, the very first thing he did is ran a census for taxation. And that census that was their welcome into the direct supervision of Rome led to a rebellion where many, many people died. Everyone knew about this census. In fact, Luke himself, in Acts chapter 5, verse 37, refers to it, refers to the Quirinius census as the census. This is the one everybody knows about. They date their history by when they came into the empire. And he's, he, what he's trying to do, because Luke is trying to set everything in history, he's trying to make it clear to his people that this census, this little remembered census of the oath to Caesar that Mary and Joseph were part of, this is, this is not to be confused with the Quirinius census that everybody knows about. This is before that census. And the, the ironic thing is, is Luke wrote it that way to make it clear, and it's led to nothing but confusion ever since. And so, there you go. (laughs) Circumstances. There was no room for the birth at the inn where they were staying. So instead of having the baby at an inn or in a house, they had to go out to a stable, which was probably more like a cave. And Jesus was laid not in a, in a crib, but in a manger, which is a feeding trough. It's a feeding trough for the animals. The final circumstance our text tells us about is that the only human beings that were invited to witness this scene were nearby shepherds. There were no prophets there. There were no priests there. There were no members of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish leadership that was made up of both the Sadducees and the Pharisees. None of them are there. Only shepherds get an invitation and I realize that we include wise men in our, in our crash sets, but the wise men don't come until over a year later. They don't come to the stable. They come to a house that Mary and Joseph had rented. Though even the word for Jesus there is now toddler instead of infant. In the, 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 don't confuse the wise men. The wise men are not there. The shepherds are the only one invited. So these, these are the circumstances around the birth. Now, here we, go to, here we come to point two. Why did God choose these circumstances? God, the God who ordered all of time, who had been waiting to bring his son into the world, why would he order these specific circumstances? No room at the end. Are you kidding me? The God who created the universe can't reserve a room for his son? Are you kidding me? He can't arrange to have somebody out so that his son can be born in an inn and under a real roof? Why? Why did the plan of God have Jesus Come to an end where there is no 
room for him. And I want you to just consider this. These are just my speculations. Is it prophetic about the future rejection of the Messiah? John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. He, he came, but there wasn't going to be room for him in most people's lives. A few weeks ago, I had to go into the doctor. I had a, an infected cyst on my back that I had to get. Uh, you know what? I told the story at the men's breakfast. It's too gory for a general population. I'm not going to tell that story right now, but I was in the doctor. And, and so, and I'm friends with our doctor. I know he's a Christian and we're talking about Christmas and what they're going to do. And he's got children and grandchildren. It's just going to be a massive celebration at his house. And so I say, are you guys going to read the Christmas story? And there's a, there's a, there's an awkward pause. And he says, we really should. And that's how people get around pastors. It's like everything is a review. I, I wasn't trying to re- say that he needed to. I was just asking. I'm, you got all your family around you. And, but I understood it. I understood it. Here's what's happened with Christmas. So many things have been added to Christmas, haven't they? Christmas trees. That's an, that's an addition. Christmas lights that are so beautiful. Christmas ornaments, Christmas cookies, Christmas traditions. Now we have Christmas. Well, my, my, we've got Santa and the reindeer. We've got the North Pole. We've got all of these things that we have added. We have Christmas movies. My, oh, my, Hallmark has 22 premier Christmas showings. I mean, there are, there's Christmas songs. There's a whole genre called Christmas. And that doesn't even get into the whole tradition of gift giving and gift receiving. And then the commercialism that many, many businesses the only reason that they ever get into the black is because of the Christmas season, which has made the whole thing a marketing scam where, where we got to market Christmas. And, and anyway, let's not even get into that. The point is this. So I love all of it. I love the lights. I love, I love the incense, the Christmas incense, the smell. I love the whole thing. But to get the good news of great joy... You have to come back to this stable. You've got to come back to that which was very rugged and difficult. You have to grasp that. Otherwise, what happens is this. Is when all the lights are taken down and all the parties are done and all the gifts are returned. (laughs) You're left with this emptiness, this hollowness. That I just had all of this activity. I was involved in this activity. And it seemed, it seemed joyful. It seemed exciting. It seemed all of this. And now it's after Christmas and I feel empty. I feel robbed. So my advice is simply this. 
Make Jesus the center of your Christmas. Enjoy the lights, enjoy the movies, enjoy the cookies. But the joy of this thing, the good news of great joy, doesn't come from any of the trappings. It comes from Jesus, from his love and from his birth and then why he came. Why? Why a feeding trough in Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem, it's not only the city of David, but the very name Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus is in the feeding trough. He is where the grain would be to feed the animals. Why? Listen to John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Is it prophetic that he's in this stable and in this feeding trough as the bread of the whole world? And then thirdly, why shepherds? Why would the shepherds be the only one invited? To understand that, you've got to understand just a little of the whole system of the Jewish festivals. Josephus, again tells us that one specific Passover, just Passover, the Jews would come back from all over the empire. So there's over a million Jews that come back. And every family has to sacrifice an approved lamb. Josephus says at one Passover, it took 256,500 lambs to be sacrificed. Okay, that's a lot of lambs. And, they, and, and most people are coming from long away, and you have to have an approved lamb. So the whole system was much easier if you raise the lamb, right, lambs right around Jerusalem. Well, Bethlehem is less than five miles from Jerusalem. All of these fields are used not to raise lamb for wool, but to raise lambs for sacrifice. Galatians 4, 4, 5 explains why shepherds. At just the right time, at the set time, God brought his son into the world, born by a woman under law to redeem us from the law. Jesus was born of a woman, not to be an example for us, even though he was the greatest example. He was born of a woman not to teach us, even though he's got the greatest teaching of all time in every religion and every, everybody quotes Jesus. But that's not why he came. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that the law condemned those that the law exposed as sinners. He came to pay the price of redemption. 
animals could never pay the price for our sins. All they could do was point to the one that was coming. Mankind had sinned. It had to be a human being. And Jesus was born. John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. (laughs) Why shepherds? Because shepherds had been watching over the sacrificial lambs. And now they are the only ones invited to watch over the lamb that is going to be slain to remove the sins of the whole world. It is so holy. And then thirdly and lastly, why did God choose to come in disguise? Why would you slip into the world with no huge fanfare and be born of poor parents and people don't even make room at the end? Why would you slip into the world so unnoticed and so unrecognized? And then as he grows up, it's, it's very clear that he's here in disguise. Listen to Isaiah 53 two. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Why? Why does God want to be in disguise? Two reasons. One, so that we would choose him for who he is instead of for what he has. So I've already mentioned the Christmas Hallmark movies. Now I'm going to make a confession. I'm a fan. <laughs> now you, now you, say, you say, Pastor Tom, what? The, you, the, those are just so predictable. Why would you watch a Hallmark movie? Why would you watch these premiere Christmas? Let me tell you why. Because I've thought about it. Why, why do I enjoy it? Watching a Hallmark movie is like watching golf on TV. In what way? Okay, number one, it's beautiful. They're just, they're just beautiful. Number two, no one's going to be killed. There's not going to be any blood. Nobody's going to sleep with anybody. There's not going to be any swearing. People are going to be polite to each other and nice. Nobody's even going to raise their voice. That's going to happen in a Hallmark movie. Um, it's predictable. Yeah. You can, it's, it, and, uh, you, you might say that's a bad thing. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to think during a Hallmark movie. <laughs> there's, only, there's only three plots, and you know in the first five minutes which of the three plots it is. <laughs> in golf, you get just the little buzz of competition. And with a Hallmark movie, you get the kiss at the end. That's all you get. One of the three um, plots is around royalty. And just, just so you understand that this is a real thing, I'm going to read you 
these are just recent titles, that they, they will shamelessly use the exact same plot and just put different people in. But here, so here, here's the titles. Trust me, all of these 10 movies that I'm going to give you the titles of, they all have the exact same plot, which is different people, different, a little different country. But here, here's, the, here's the 10 titles. <clears throat> a Royal Christmas. A Royal Winter. Royal Hearts. Crown for Christmas. A princess for Christmas. Royal matchmaker. Once upon a prince. Royally ever after. Here's the plot. Let me tell you what the plot is. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what the plot is. Because it's the exact same in every one of these movies. I'm not kidding. They're shameless with this. You could fall asleep for 45 minutes and wake up and you, you, you didn't miss anything. You know what's going on. There's going to be a misunderstanding with 15 minutes left. There's going to be a misunderstanding. It's going to seem like it's all off. Then there's a commercial. Then there's seven minutes left and it'll all be resolved and they'll kiss. That's how it's going to end. (laughs) I did not ruin one movie for you. I just, I just ruined a hundred movies for you. Anyway. um, So here's this plot. It's somebody of some unknown kingdom, some small kingdom. They just make up fictitious countries and he's come to America and he is in disguise. He's wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt. He's just going to college or he's just got a job or he is in disguise and they fall in love. And at some point she finds out that he is actually a prince. And she always says the same thing. She's hurt and offended because you lied to me. And he said, he said, no, I didn't lie to you. I just didn't tell you the whole truth. And then he reveals why. He says, in my country, no one loves me. No one can love me for who I am because they're blinded by my position and by my wealth. And so I, I could never win somebody's love. I could never know if anyone's love was true. And so I wanted, to, I wanted somebody to know me for who I am instead of for my position and my power and wealth. And this is why God came in disguise, it's one of the reasons. I want you to think for, an, for just a moment the contrast between Caesar Augustus and King Herod and Jesus. Okay? So Augustus commands an oath where people bow down to him. You bow down to me, you pledge allegiance to me, or you die. You are, this is set up all over the kingdom. And then he has the audacity to say that I received from all the Roman Empire, I received uh, this, this pledge, this oath of allegiance to me. And you say, well, that's not really much of an oath if you're forcing people. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no, you don't understand. It's more meaningful to the demonic ego and power of those who are power hungry. It's more meaningful if I make you take an oath rather than you choose to give it. That's, that's, that's the, the, the thrill of having 
power over other human beings to conform them to your will, to make them bow down. How great must I be that I can make all of these people pledge allegiance to me? It's it's demonic. But look at the contrast between that and Jesus. Jesus said these words. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He appeared in disguise. No one was drawn by his beauty or his majesty or his position. He wasn't threatening anybody. He had no position of power. It was just the beauty of who he was and how he draws people today. He gives how he does it. Listen to this. This is John chapter 12, 32 and 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. That the way... That he draws, draws people is through the greatest act of love in all of history when he died on the cross for you and I. I asked God how much he loved me and he held out his hands and he, and he said this much and he died on the cross. God's not forcing, have you noticed that God's not forcing anybody or pushing anybody? But he's drawing. He's drawing with his quiet Love. Everything about the enemy, everything about darkness is very loud, it's very out there, and it's, it's trying to manipulate you into something. And God doesn't do that. He comes and he gently knocks. And if you don't want to pay attention, you just want to do your own thing, he'll just let you go ahead and do your own thing and, and, and cover up your mind and your life with so much busyness that you can't hear the gentle invitation of heaven. The way that you give, we give Jesus our loyalty, and it's so important to him, is that we give it freely. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Why did God come in disguise? Secondly, so that we would follow him into the light without fear. Isaiah 9, 2. This is 700 years before Jesus was born. Here's what, here's what Isaiah says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. A few verses later, verse 6, he tells us what that light is. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The way that the light of God, the redemption of God is going to be released is through a baby being born. And all of his titles and all of his glory and all of his government is going to be all reduced down to this little baby that is going to be a light, this small little light that's coming into the darkness of this world. And that light is going to lead everybody, everybody that wants to follow it, into the light. Why? Because nobody is afraid of a baby. 
People might be afraid of, of coming into the light if they've lived in darkness for a long time. Light is terrifying. To be exposed, to be, it, it's terrifying. But Jesus is going to come so gently that he is going to be able to lead us into the light. So I want to read this uh, by Paul Harvey. And I, I thought of t- just telling the story, but he's so efficient with words. Why don't I just read it? This is called The Man and the Birds. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men, but he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. He just didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife. But I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. And so he stayed And they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier, and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another, and then another. Snowballs against his living room window. But when he went out to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on a coat, galoshes, tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light. But the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them in. So he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them in the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me. That I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them, confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safe, warm, to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. 
At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells. O come, all ye faithful. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. For just a moment, I want you to consider Mary. I want you to consider the shepherds coming and talking about the angels and explaining to Mary who this child is. She knows about the angels. She, she's received the super, she's supernaturally pregnant. No one knows it more than her. That that, 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 that which has been born of her is something that doesn't fit into this mind. And it says this, she treasured and pondered these things in her heart. She's, she's one of the only human beings on planet Earth that, that understands, doesn't fully understand, but, but grasps something much, much greater is here. And so here's what I want you to do. We're going we're to bring the lights down. We're going to play a song by Francesca Batelli where she is contemplating Mary holding baby Jesus. So could you close your eyes maybe or whatever you're comfortable with and then we'll close. <laughs> 